Hey, what's up? My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Church in the Wild. Thank you for joining us in the wild, where we have sermons, conversations, interests, all the things that make us who we are. Thanks for jumping on here. You matter. John chapter 3, verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then the verse that, John, that Tim Tebow wrote, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are kind, you are gracious, you are loving, you are just, you are holy, you are righteous, you are forgiving. Lord, you are for us. And you are so much more than just a symbol and it gets easy in our culture to reduce you to just a symbol. Oh, I'm a, I'm a cultural Christian. But Lord, you're so much more than that. You are alive and working in our lives each and every day. You are for us and you are with us. Lord, help us as we navigate this today, Lord. Help us as we walk through this passage today. And Lord, speaking of helping us, I had three cups of coffee today. Each one helped me. I may not recover from them, but I don't care. They were all good. Lord, thank you for the coffee. Thank you, Lord, for the donuts. They're good. They somehow, I don't believe, can be blessed, but I'm going to ask you to try it anyways, Lord. Bless the donuts and the coffee in Jesus' name. Amen. Those donuts are good. Good night. Those donuts are good. Are you all, now you can't be shy on me right here. Okay, how many of you, you just got to raise your hand. How many of you would say, I am a breakfast person. I love breakfast. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. All right. All right. Now where's my lunch people at? Anybody say I'm a lunch fan? Oh, a few less. Okay. Less. All right. How many of you say I'm a dinner person? I'm all about, okay. Okay. The verses, some people are like, yes, yes. Is there a fourth meal? Is there a fifth meal? I'm for all the meals. I'm for all of them. <laughs> uh, the verses we just read remind me of brunch. They remind me of brunch, and here's why. Because we, we are like breakfast people, some of us, and we're all about eating that breakfast, right? Like, I grew up, my, my parents farmed, I grew up living in the country, and boy, we were all about breakfast food. Like, breakfast was a big deal in our family. Pancakes, waffles, sweet, uh, we, had, we had eggs, we had fries, we had bacon, we had sausage, we did all of it, biscuits and gravy. I mean, you name it, we had it for breakfast, and breakfast was a big deal for me growing up. And breakfast is probably my favorite meal. I love it. But then I started working third shift, and in third shift, you just don't really start to eat breakfast that much because you're working super late. And I began to be more interested in lunch and in dinner and in other meals and kind of skipped over breakfast. But one day, not very long ago, my wife and I discovered brunch. Now, I, I know some of you are like, bro, you're 100 years behind. And I get it. But brunch is a new thing to me. And it's like the best of both worlds. 
Well, you eat breakfast and lunch in one meal combined, and I missed it for so long. I think the verses that we just read, they remind me of brunch. Because in John chapter 3, at the beginning of the chapter, there's this man named Nicodemus, and a lot of Christianity wants to talk about Nicodemus. We want to focus on Nicodemus, talk about Nicodemus, learn about him, see what his story was, see all about him. And then there's John 3.16, which is like the lunch of the Bible, right? It's like that meal that you got to have, and you got to eat lunch, and it's so important, and it's so good. And the more you look into John 3.16, the better it becomes. But often, we skip over John 3.11 through 15 because we're so interested in John 3.1 or in John 3.16. And yet, in these verses right here, we find so much about Jesus. See, Jesus is talking to one of the most religious people in a religious country. He is discussing eternal life with a man who knows all about the Bible. If you were to, if you were to take Nicodemus and apply him into our current context, you could say that if we put Columbus, Cincinnati, and Cleveland together, and then we pulled out 70 people from all of those people, who we said, those 70 people really know the Bible. And then we pulled out five or six out of that 70 people who said, they know even more about the Bible. Nicodemus is one of those people. But Bible, doesn't, Bible knowledge doesn't always equal to knowing God. Right? Like Bible knowledge is important. We should study the Bible. We should learn the Bible. We should work and, and go through the Bible and gather together in groups and discuss it. But it doesn't always lead to a relationship with God. Nicodemus knows everything there is to know about the Bible, but he doesn't understand Jesus when he talks. And so Jesus says to him, I'm trying to tell you basic earthly things, and you're not understanding them. So Jesus does something that is so important. If you're a seasoned Christian who knows the Bible, this is so important. Jesus takes the conversation and he applies it in a way that Nicodemus will understand. In Christianity, there's a temptation to always be the smartest person in the room. And in Christianity, there's a, you could say it like this, because this is probably more applicable in, in our, our, our generational context. There's a temptation to be the smartest person on social media right now. Isn't there? Like you get out there, everyone's trying to be smarter than everybody else. You know, I didn't know that we had so many infectious disease experts until we had a pandemic. Or hurricane experts until we have a hurricane, or gun experts until we have a gun problem. You know, like, it's like, whatever problem, also we got all these experts. Everyone's trying to be the smartest person in the room. But Jesus says to Nicodemus something that Nicodemus is able to understand and draw from and learn from. Our, our church has core values. You matter, Jesus matters, grace matters, details matter. Our staff has core values too. And one of those core values for our staff is we say that the smartest person in the room is the room. Why? Because we don't want to build a staff full of people who think they're smarter than everybody else. And then our staff meetings and our meetings become, oh, I need to be more impressive and I need to be the one who's right. And I need to be the one who's always the one who's the smartest person in the room. Instead, we say together as a room, we're smarter when we're together. And we say that when the church wins, we win. This eliminates so much conflict because we do what's best for the church. Jesus is doing this. 
Jesus is about to say something to Nicodemus that he recognizes Nicodemus will instantly be able to understand and talk about. And he says in verse 14 of John chapter 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, Nicodemus would connect with this because he's a student of the Torah. He knew all about the serpent that was lifted up. If you don't know this story, I'll give you the 30,000-foot view, okay? So, children of Israel are in a wilderness. They're wandering. They're complaining. They're upset. They're so upset that they're wandering about not having food, but they're also uh, complaining about the food that they do have, and they're saying it's not good. They're complaining about everything. They're fighting. They're, at one point, Moses' own brother and sister thought about removing him from power. They are just a walking train wreck. And then these serpents attack them. This whole community gets attacked by all these serpents that are biting them and hurting them and killing them. So God says to Moses, if you want the children of Israel to be free of these serpents, take a serpent, make it out of bronze, and hang it up in the middle of the camp on a pole. And whenever someone looks at the serpent, they will be delivered from these vipers. And Nicodemus understood that. But Nicodemus also understood the rest of the story that almost no one else in that land understood. Look at 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. In the third year of Hosea, king of, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the king of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed high places, broke down pillars, and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan, which means literally brass serpent. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. This is such an important part of the story of the serpent. Hezekiah, the king of Israel, realizes that the children of Israel are having a problem. They are worshiping so many false gods instead of Jehovah. One of the gods they worship was this bronze god. And if you didn't want a child that you had, you placed that, that, that child on the lap of that bronze god and lit a fire under it and it burned the child alive. They worshiped many gods like this and they began to worship this serpent. They began to say, you know what? This serpent delivered us when we needed to be delivered. And what they did is something that we here in America, in our culture, do quite regularly. And that is we take the symbols of God's love for us and we turn them into what we think is our savior. This is our culture so much right now. Think about what we do with the gifts that God gives us. God gives us beautiful, wonderful, amazing gifts that we then turn right into God's and we begin to worship and follow them instead of the one who gave us the gift. 
This happens in our culture all the time. God gives us symbols of his love. Think about some of the things that he gave. He gave us, to say this, we have kids in here, he gave us physical touch between a man and a woman as a gift from God. The Garden of Eden was intended for Adam and Eve to enjoy that and to be blessed from it and to have a great time with it. And they were in this garden and they were supposed to enjoy it. But look at what our culture has done with what God intended to be a gift for a man and a woman. We have turned it into a God here in America. It is now something that we worship so much so that it becomes everything about us. We even identify ourselves based off of that God. How do you know what you put faith in? Well, you identify yourself based off of what you put faith in. I put faith in Jesus, so I'm a follower of Jesus. But we identify ourselves now based off of how we worship and what we put faith in, which is an aspect of the physical touch in our culture. It is everywhere and everything. It is in every show, it is in every movie, it is in every song, it is everywhere you go. Our culture has turned a gift from God as a symbol of his love into something that we worship in place of him. So we tell him, we will decide when, where, how, why we enjoy what you gave us. That's not all. We do the same thing with education. Education is a gift from God to help us grow as a culture, but eventually we begin to worship the education, so much so that when we get into the education system, we abandon everything that God taught us. We begin to follow and pursue more and more and more education. We even do it with our families. Families are a gift from God. That is all throughout the Bible. They are a wonderful gift from God. But we can so quickly turn that gift into something that we worship in place of him. We say, I don't do that. I don't do that. Think about this. Your kid has a better chance of getting struck by lightning twice in a year than, he, than they do of becoming a professional athlete. But they have a 100% chance of standing before God someday. But what do we focus on with our families? Well, I'm going to get my kids in sports. And sports, man, they kind of take over. And you know what? I can't really get my kid to church anymore because they got to be in 17 different leagues and we got to do these 17 things. we got to do all these things. And you know what? We'll figure church out. When they're an adult, they'll go to church. Something that God has given us that is wonderful has become, instead of a symbol, it's become a savior. We hope, well, if my kid can make it, then we'll be okay. All that... All that sports ever did for me was hurt my back and my self-esteem. Right? Like, when I was in high school, I'm like, I'm going to the NBA. Yeah, you're 5'10", bro. You ain't going nowhere. Right? Like, at one point in high school, I thought, oh, man, this is my time. I can dunk now. Like, I can dunk a volleyball. Like, oh, I'm such a big deal. So I tried to dunk in a game. And I rim jammed myself and fell straight down and slammed backwards on the ground and hurt my back. And I still haven't hurt back to this day. That's what sports gave me. Why? Symbols cannot save. Symbols cannot save. This is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. He's saying, you guys worship religion. You worship the law. You worship knowledge. Religion, the law, knowledge cannot save you. Only Jesus can. And in our culture, the things that we worship... They cannot save us. Well, my career is everything. When did we begin to be people who worship careers over Christ? Think about it. Well, I can't really go to church because i got to work. 
I can't really, I can't really do this because I, I can't really give because I got to rise up in the in the corporate ladder in the world. I got to take care of this. I got we we worship this hustle culture so much. We you know what we do here in America is we say this. I'm going to get married and I love my wife and kids. And then I'm going to work myself to death and never see them. And not get to enjoy being around them at all. And someday I'm going to look back and think, boy, why did I work so hard? You know your coworkers are not going to stand beside you when you're, when you're in the hospital bed. Your boss, which, oh, they love you. They're not going to be there for you. You know who will be? That family that you ignored so that you could get the promotion which God would have given you anyways because he loves you and wants to take care of you. And you don't have to cheat and you don't have to hustle and you don't have to grind and you don't have to lie and you don't have to be corrupt as long as you are willing to follow Christ and worship him and he will bring the rewards. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Many of you guys know this. Tom King he sits right up here every Sunday morning, always raises his hand throughout worship. He was with us at the parade on, on Monday. He walked with us in the parade. He was getting ready to leave. Tom, Tom and I have this funny, uh, like, I'm a, I'm a hugger, but I try to go for the handshake hug. And Tom is just like a hugger like this. Like, Tom's just like, bring it. Like, <laughs> he starts walking towards you like this, right? I'm more of like, let's hit the hand, and then let's do the hug. Not Tom. Tom's like, well, here we go. Tom walked in the parade on Monday. We got ready to leave, and I was like, dude, thank you so much. You're such a huge help. He gave me this huge hug and said, man, I love you so much. This church is changing my life. And on Wednesday morning, I got this call from someone I didn't recognize. And they said, hey, Tuesday night, Tom had a massive stroke and he's been in the hospital all morning. I went and saw him. It's so surreal to me to walk into the hospital on the floor that, that I was in because I had strokes. Right? And to see the doctor who helped me walk, working with Tom. I began to think about what are we, what are we running around with our lives for other than Jesus and to just enjoy the people and the gifts that he's given us? Why are we worshiping these things that cannot deliver us? These things that cannot save us. Symbols cannot save. Your job, symbol of God's grace. Your vehicle, man, some of you got cool vehicles, symbol of God's grace. Some of you vehicles are like mine, and you're like, you sure it's going to make it here today. Some of you got, we got multiple vehicles. Your house, symbol of God's grace. Your family, symbol of God's grace. Sports, symbol of God's grace. Education, symbol of God's grace. Love, symbol of God's grace. Life, symbol of God's grace. But they cannot and they will not save you. And this is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. He says, the serpent was lifted up. And so must the Son of Man be. But he finishes it by saying one other thing. He says in verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is so much more than a symbol. Jesus is not just another symbol of our culture. We're not corporate Christians or cultural Christians. Yeah, I go to church once a month. Yeah, I, I remember I said some prayer that I don't really remember. Yeah, I, I'm a, yeah, yeah, you could call me a Christian. I'm not one of those guys, so I must be one of these guys. But Jesus is not just a symbol. He is the only one 
who can save you. He's the only one. Jesus is not a good path to heaven. I'm sorry. Cool preachers on TV lie on, on late night shows all the time. He's not just another path. He's not just another way. He's not just another good person. He's not a prophet. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the only one who can save our broken souls from what we have done to them. He's the only one. Education, important. But it's a lousy God. A job, very important. Lousy God. Sports, very good. Fun. I enjoyed sports, even though I'm bad at them. Lousy God. Relationships, man, awesome, important. Lousy gods. You want to put your faith in a human being? Jump onto a dating app and start putting your faith in human beings and watch as you find out that they're in 17 other apps, that they're also with 17 other people, that they're lying to you to get what they want, and you're trying to figure out if you should lie to them. People are lousy gods. Religion is a lousy God. Oh, I'm a religious person. Religion's a lousy God. Because you know what religion tells you? Do more, and if you do, we'll accept you. God will be happy only because you do more than everybody else around you. But Jesus said, I will be lifted up. I will die for you. Why? For God so loved the world. Take out the world and put your name in it. That he gave his only begotten son. That if you believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is more than a symbol. He's the savior. Jesus is more than good. He's God. Jesus is more than a prophet. He is the greatest in the history of the world. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And he's for you. If you were the only person on this earth, he would have come and lived and died just for you. He would have fixed your brokenness if there was only you. Because he loves you that much. He loves you so much that he descended to earth, lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life, and ascended and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding on your behalf. He's the Savior. And he was lifted up and he died so that you can have a relationship with God the Father. So don't settle for symbols. What symbol are you settling for? What symbol are you chasing after hoping that somehow that will make you happy? It never will. Only Jesus. I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet right now. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute. Maybe you are chasing after a symbol. Maybe you've fallen for the trap of thinking a symbol is the Savior. And not on purpose, but you've just begun to chase it. I've been there. I've been in my life at times where I began to chase things that I thought, man, this is everything only to realize that they only disappointed me. And I'm crawling back to Jesus who accepted me time and time and time again like the prodigal son. He welcomed me home. What symbol are you chasing? 
What symbol are you serving uh, instead of Jesus? Jesus is more than a symbol. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.